Welcome to Seeds, a show where we talk with people who are living lives of purpose and doing amazing things that make a positive impact in our world. We take time to listen to them as they reflect on their life journeys and what has shaped them into who they are today and what motivates them to be involved in what they do. Well, kia ora, everyone. Welcome along to Seeds Podcast. This is Stephen Mo speaking, and we get a chance in this episode to hear from Alana Kilmartin. And this is an amazing conversation because we talk a lot about careers and young people and making decisions about what you're going to do with your life. Alana is the host of a podcast called Advice About Career Advice, and you can check that out in the show notes where there's a link. And I'm sure you can enjoy this, so we're going to get straight into it. Just one reminder, I've started a second podcast called Board Matters with the Institute of Directors, so there's a link in the show notes to that as well. It's a brand new podcast talking about governance and leadership. And if you like Seeds, I think you'll really enjoy it. Now let's get straight into this conversation. All right. Well, it's a real pleasure to welcome Alana Kilmartin, who's the host of the Advice About Career Advice podcast. Thanks for joining me. Thanks so much for having me. It's great to be here. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to our conversation um, because I have questions about careers and getting advice and how do you make decisions, particularly if you're a young person, about your career and what you'll do with your life. Um, So I'm looking forward to hearing about that and about your podcast and what you're doing. But before we get into that, what I always like to do is jump in a time machine, find out about people's history. So in your case, could you explain a little bit about um, what was life like for you when you were, say, four or five years old? Oh, it's a great question. I So I'm Australian, if you can't already tell from the accent. Some Kiwis can pick up on it, some can't. Um, so when I was about four or five, I was growing up in Australia, and that was about home was about two hours north of Melbourne in regional Victoria. So I grew up on a farm there. And life was pretty good. We had a lot of space, a lot of freedom. Um, I'm the youngest of three children. So I have two older brothers and spent a lot of my childhood, I would say, being teased and picked on by by them and trying to find my own way in the world, I guess. And yeah, it was a really great childhood. And one of the first things I think that comes up when I think about that age was I had a fascination with playing shops at home by myself, I didn't need friends around. It was just kind of me hanging out by myself and coming up with my own little games and imagination using that. That's great. And the town or the the place that you were in, like how how many people were there? <laughs> like give us a sense of the scale. So the town that I grew up outside of had a population while I was growing up about just over 2000 people. So not too big, not too small. And It was a very um, primary industry-based area, so a lot of dairy farming, a lot of um, orchards and the like, so very very farm-influenced, that area. Yeah, and is that something that your family was involved in as well then, the agricultural? Yeah, so my dad actually just retired from uh, a company over there and he was the longest-serving employee, so he'd been there for 47 years and that was a dare. yeah, 47. I don't think that really happens anymore and I'm like, we just kind of keep thinking, why didn't he go to 50? But um, he worked at that company, so he started off washing the milk tankers and then worked his way up through the company and worked through different departments. So a massive influence from that, I guess, from a career perspective to see someone that works so hard and, and all the opportunities he had in his in his career. Yeah, that's great. And for you, you know, growing up in your primary school years, what would you say were things that interested you? Oh, good question. 
sport was a really big part of our, our lives. I, I guess more so as a family. Um, my brother, older brothers played sport. I always played sport as well, um, normally basketball and say netball. And so that was definitely influential throughout childhood. That was kind of Saturdays pretty much taken up through that. But apart from that, it was... It was funny, and that's one of the reasons why I love living in New Zealand, I guess, not to skip ahead too much, but I love um, having activities in the outdoors to be able to do in New Zealand. And it was something where growing up in a very regional area, there weren't a lot of activities. If you didn't if you didn't play sport, there kind of wasn't a whole lot to do outside of school. So it was a bit of make your own fun, make your own adventure on the farm, as opposed to being able to go and do things like you can, what I can find here in New Zealand. It's interesting, isn't it? Because I think sometimes not having lots of things available actually stimulates the creativity. And, you know, you described your, your own childhood, you know, making your own worlds and having your own shop and things like that. Yeah, it's a, a really good point. And the the creativity, I think that's the a really important uh I guess, theme throughout my childhood. And it's it's something now that I reflect back on my own career journey that I see the creativity was a really big part of my childhood. But then slowly as I got older, that became less and less a part of my life. Um, as you kind of just get funneled, I guess, during school and you start picking subjects based on what you're really good at or what's going to have really great pathways for you beyond school. And it's something I've spent probably the last, say, five years or so really coming back to that creative piece as well. Because it, my mum will always say that, she never worried about me when I was a child because I could always amuse myself. I could always entertain myself. I didn't need, um, I don't know, I didn't need that, as say, external stimulation to be able to, to fill in a day. Well, it'll be interesting to see how, as we're talking, what you're doing today and then some of the thinking that you're doing around young people and their career decisions. Because I think all of this kind of interplays and there's different cultural norms as well as to how we think about our work and our careers. So um, yeah, anyway, we'll get to that soon. <laughs> but if, if we're coming through, you know, approaching the end of high school, um, were there subjects that were standing out to you that you enjoyed more than others? Um, did you know what type of thing you wanted to do when you graduated from high school? Yeah. So I always, I, t I tell this story quite often because it was a really, I guess, a turning point probably from a career perspective, but also a, a life path perspective. And it was when I was about 11 years old and it was around that age when adults maybe start asking you what you want to do with your life. And it's a little bit more of a serious tone. It's not as much of a, a asking a five-year-old what they want to do when they say they want to be a ballerina. Right. And I, I remember my dad asking me what I wanted to do. And at the time I said that I wanted to be a nurse and that was based on my grandma being a nurse. And, and it was just something I'd probably plucked down out of thin air, to be quite honest. And by this point I was, it was, it was evident that I had academic gifts and that I could do a lot of different things throughout school. And my dad said to me, he said, why would you be a nurse when you could be a doctor? And it was a really, uh, there's, I guess, two sides to it where that was great from a parent's perspective to be able to open my mind to what else might be possible, right? But then there was also kind of a flip side to that where it made me in my, I guess, 11-year-old mind think that, well, if I don't become a doctor, it won't be anything else won't be good enough, right? So the idea of becoming a doctor kind of got popped up onto a pedestal, I'd say. 
And then I guess probably the theme of high school then, especially towards those later years was about going into medicine. And anytime someone would ask me what I was going to do, it would be, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a pediatrician or something like that. And so quite, yeah. So quite early on, I guess the subjects got geared towards that um for good or like for good or bad I was I was good at those subjects so a lot of maths and a lot of science um but there was always um I always did Italian the whole way through and that was kind of the bit of the odd subject I guess out of all the ones that I'd chosen and the academic system is slightly different in Australia to New Zealand but in a way, maybe the Italian was for a bit of fun. And I really liked, I was terrible at it. My accent, I couldn't roll my R's. I couldn't do any of that, but it was a really great uh, contrast, I guess, to a lot of the other more analytical sort of STEM subjects that I was doing. So yeah, while there was a lot of maths and and science, there was this kind of Italian popped in. And then that I went and uh, did a gap year and lived over in Italy for nine months, uh, nannying with a family. So that kind of, I guess, all tied in into that as well. Wow, it's it's really interesting how like Italian. What had sparked the original interest in that? Because <laughs> you're in you're two hours north of Melbourne in rural, you know, dairy country. <laughs> yeah, so we had a, a really big Italian population where I grew up. So we had a um, a little bit like Melbourne, right? But there's a really big Greek and Italian population. So where I grew up, there was a really heavy Italian influence there. They had a lot of families that have migrated out there and they they went and they worked on farms and did all of that um, in decades previous. And there was always, you could either study Japanese or Italian when we first started high school and you had to study them both and then you could choose to keep studying them or not. And I guess I loved Italian food, right? That was a, a classic thing when you, when you get that age. But the reason why I kept studying it is that my um, my mum promised me that if they de- ever did, it was like a pipe dream at the time, if they ever did a school trip to Italy, sometimes they would maybe every four years or something, they'd organise a school trip and they'd take a, a class of students to Italy and you could go and do like an immersion experience over there. And so they said, well, if that ever happened when when you're at school, then you'd be able to go on it. We'd, we would be happy for you to go and do that. And so I guess in the back of my head, I'm like, okay, keep doing it because you like it anyway. And then if you get to go, that's great. And so then when I was about, I must've been about 14 or 15, they actually organized a trip to go over there. And I appreciate now how fortunate I was to be able to do that. And not everyone obviously has access to that. And it wasn't that I've grown up in a particularly wealthy environment or anything like that, but it was just a, my parents really valued our education. And to them, I think this was a real education piece to be able to go and do that. And so it was an amazing experience. It was the first time I'd been on a plane and it was all of these, I guess, first happening at once. And that was quite instrumental, I think, looking back now in opening my eyes to the world, what else is possible out there. And we got to do some really neat things. Like we had to live with an Italian family for a while. So that kind of carried throughout. And I think once I'd done that, I got a taste for it and just kept going on with it. Yeah, that's great. So what age were you exactly at that point? So I would have been in year nine, which would mean that I was probably 15. I'd say I was 15 at the time. Yeah. Yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. That's my daughter's about to turn 15. So it's kind of a pivotal time, isn't it? Is that, you know, because 18 is, is then like the next stage up, but 15, you're still pretty young. That's um, yeah, there's a lot of different influences there that can shape you. <laughs> yeah. And I think when you're 15, you're, it's not that you're fighting for your independence, but you're, you're really on that, on that 
the the precipice, right? Where maybe you're about to get your license or you learn it, you know, your learner's license or something like that. And I know when you're when you're 15, there's still a maybe an innocence there or something like that. I'm not really sure. But it's a it is, you're exactly right. It's a really interesting age because it is when you start maybe making some more serious decisions or decisions about what you might like to do in the future, but you're still you're kind of still a child, right? Or, or you're still yeah. you've still got all those tendencies as well. So it's I'm sure you're really enjoying that that phase in your daughter's life. Yeah, yeah, that's good. I always think that overseas experiences, learning languages, my feeling is actually that it it's it's like double the benefit of other type of study. And the reason is that I think our minds, if we, for example, learn one language and we live in one place, it just means that you don't have that conception that there's other places in the world, which are very Mm -hmm. different. And in other places of the world, they don't call it bread. They call it pan, you know, like Mm -hmm. that, that there's a different conception and that, that that's okay too, that there's, different languages and yeah it's just uh so that's why i think it's a real high value to be able to have studied another language and then have lived overseas as well absolutely and the like even just when you were speaking that it made me think of i remember i was we stayed with the host it was about a two-week trip and we stayed with the host family for about five um five nights so it was just me with an italian family it wasn't like with a buddy or anything like that which as a 15 year old never lived out of home was a whole experience in and of itself but i remember we went out to a restaurant one night and the food was incredible but they they got a few different samplers so i could try different types of the cuisine and there was a salami there and you know I'd had salami in Australia and it was just the the stuff that you would find on pizza or something like that right and the father couldn't speak very good English and he was trying to say this salami in Italian and the daughter translated for me and she said it's horse salami and so I'd never thought of eating horse right like that wasn't it's not a delicacy in Australia I'm probably it's probably illegal to even to to do it but <laughs> over there right it was a, a delicacy and it was a, a big part of this the region that I was in and it is those little experiences, right? Where you start, I don't know, it, until you see another option, you don't think about it because you've only grown up in 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 the world that you've grown up in. And I grew up in the same house in the same in the same area of Australia. So my experiences kind of beyond that were quite limited, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So talk us through then, yeah, what what came next? You've kind of got these Italian influences, but then there's the medical, you know, future. Yeah. What what actually happened? Yeah, so I had I had it all figured out, right? And it was um I think when you think you've figured it out, it means that you don't have it figured out and that something's probably about to to come crumbling down. But I guess I thought I had that path planned out. And it sounds so ridiculous, but I, I had a boyfriend when I was 16 and 17 years old. And I thought that that's perfect. That kind of fits in with it all. I'll become a doctor, we'll stay together, all the rest of it. And then he broke up with me when I was 17. And I say that because it was actually a really big turning point in my life because it was sort of this given thing that I was like, sweet, that's all sorted. I don't have to worry about that either. And then it really made me think twice about what I was doing. And previously I thought I'll finish school, I'll go straight to university, I'll study and I'll be on my merry way. But having that experience made me think, okay, I want to get out of here. I want to do something different. I just want to see what else is out there pretty much. And so I decided to take a, you would call it in New Zealand, like an OE, a gap year, and went about two weeks after high school, jumped on a plane and 
went and did some travel and then lived in Italy for for nine months with the family, as I said earlier. So that was that, I guess, Italian influence again, but it was a a really great way to find out that I didn't want kids anytime soon, I think, for having to be responsible for them and living with them and, and doing all of those bits and pieces, I guess, with having children. But right. having that overseas experience and probably more than anything, that time to myself, the time away from, I guess, family, comfort zones, friends, everything that I'd grown up around, all of that, say, stability even that was in that environment, not much changed where I grew up. It was a small town. And having gone and done that, it just completely changed my entire perspective, I think, on the world. Mm. And when I came back, I moved down to Melbourne because there wasn't an option to study online back then. So you pretty much had to move out of home if you wanted to get a, a further education. And so I moved to Melbourne and studied biomedical science with the intention that I would go into medicine beyond that. But I'd probably seen too much and met too many medical students and realized that it just wasn't me anymore. And that was the funny thing was I'd never really considered what being a doctor would actually be like, like the shift work or the people you'd be working with, the problems you've been dealing with, but it made me consider what my other options were. And so I did a, uh, a commerce degree alongside that as well. I was really fascinated by the world of business and wanted to, I guess, round out my education, but really still had no idea what I was doing within that. So that's the, the, I guess the journey of my twenties has been that I thought I had it figured out. And then it's, I guess that next decade of, okay, well, what do I actually want to do? Who am I? Where do I want to go with my life? And I guess the, the options are limitless, right? But you've got to try and narrow them down somehow. Yeah. Well, I'd love to get into that and talk about the podcast that you're doing and kind of the work that you're doing in this area about careers and decision-making and things. So maybe just bring us up to speed because you're now living in New Zealand. How did you end up here? <laughs> yeah, so I so I was living in Melbourne. I did some travel throughout that time as well. And then I guess I really prioritized travel in my 20s. It was just something I really got a lot of value from. So when uh, when I finished my university degrees, my partner and I came on a trip over to Queenstown and completely fell in love with the place. We were having a bottle of wine, I, I believe it was, overlooking uh, Lake overlooking the lake, overlooking the Remarkables and thought, you know, would you be able to live here? And so we had that discussion. And then I think about six months later, we moved over here. And the reason why we moved over is, I said it before, but it was about the lifestyle that we hadn't, even from living in Melbourne, where there's a lot of hustle and bustle, a little bit of a rat race there. It was so nice to be somewhere where people lived here because they wanted to live for what was around here and they wanted to do activities. They wanted to spend time outdoors. And it was just, I guess, a dynamic that we hadn't experienced before and we really fell in love with it. So we told our family, our families, we're moving over. We'll see what happens. We don't know how long it's going to be. It might be a year and here we are, say, four and a half years later. But by moving over to New Zealand, we realized we would be needing to make some career decisions that maybe we wouldn't have been able to do otherwise, or we wouldn't have the same opportunities in a more regional area like Queenstown, as opposed to say somewhere like Melbourne. And so when I came here, I decided that I wanted to do something that I was good at, but that I also had a passion for. And so I became a travel agent because I loved travel and I'd done a lot of sales roles throughout university. And it was this like match made in heaven. I absolutely loved it. I thrived in the industry. I did really well. I got awards and trips and did all that sort of stuff. And it just gave me a, 
it, it was a job that I didn't even need a qualification for. And it really got me thinking about careers and how we do make these decisions. And it wasn't, it, I, I spent about 18 months in the industry and completely burnt out by the end of it because I kept going and going and wanting to keep exceeding my goals and expectations and all the rest of it. And through leaving that job, it made me understand so much about the decisions we make back when we're 15 and 16 and 17 and how they really do have quite a big impact on what happens in our 20s and beyond. But because of the age that we're at when we are 15 or 16, we don't understand not necessarily the gravity, but we don't understand the consequences of those little micro decisions that we are making, say, the difference between studying chemistry and studying Italian, right? And I saw a lot of my, by this point, I was in my mid, just over my mid twenties. And I saw a lot of people around me as well that had reached a similar point where they thought they were on a path. They'd sort of gotten a little way, uh, way down it. They'd maybe got a few promotions or they'd come out of university or they'd done an apprenticeship. And it was this weird space where no one really knew what they were doing. Anything goes, a friend could be buying a house, a friend could be on their last $10. And there was sort of no support network or guidance throughout those years. And it sort of, it made me really see that it felt like there was all of this um, maybe pressure to make these decisions at this young age where there is a lot of support networks there. And there's a lot of people that you can reach out to. There's a lot of a, B, C, D, this is how you go from, you know, A through to D. But when you get into 25 and beyond, there's no rule book and there's no guidebook for it. And I saw a lot of people, including myself, really struggle in that phase. And it really started to impact when they couldn't figure work out or work wasn't going quite right. It started moving into other areas of their life as well. And I started to really see the power of work to be this thing that can make or break us in our 20s. And I saw it for me, it became, even in the role as a travel agent, it really became my identity. My work was my identity and my success in that determined how I felt about myself. And I think that's where a lot of young people fall into that trap of, you want to make it right. Or you want to get to that end goal as soon as possible so that people maybe take you more seriously, or you have more opportunities. And yeah, I guess the last couple of years now have been around, there's been some other jobs here and here and there and some other projects along the way, but I've really come to this point where I've realized that um, I want to systemically change some of this so that younger people can have access to better information and better resources at the right time and make more age appropriate decisions and to help shift some of that so that they can feel like they can experiment a little bit more in their 20s without the need to get to that end and that destination or figure that out what they want to do with their lives to kind of just remove some of that pressure. And I guess in a, a bigger picture within that, it's um, if we have more young people that are doing work that's meaningful for them, and that doesn't mean that they have to love what they do and they have to be changing the world with it, but if they can at least understand what they get out of work um, and if that is a paycheck, what do they do with that paycheck? I think we'll be having uh, a lot of the problems in the world will be solved because people will be in alignment with their careers and their lives. So I guess that's probably on a bigger, bigger picture about where I, why I'm so passionate about it. Yeah, no, that's great. No, I can hear the passion in your voice. And I think, I think you're right. I, I, I'm interested to just brainstorm with you and go back and forth on something because I'm at a slightly different stage of life. You know, like I'm right now 46. So that puts me in like somebody who's been working for 20 years, basically. <laughs> so 
I am able to offer a slightly different perspective, both on my time when I was in my early 20s, but then also there is a real thing, which I'd like to talk to you about, which is people call it the midlife crisis, you know, like you're getting to 40-ish or something and you're going like, what is it all for? (laughs) But before we talk about that, I have an observation. I think one of the problems with our society is that we funnel people into these categories of, oh, you're going to be a lawyer or, oh, you're going to be a doctor or, oh, you're going to be a mechanic or, oh, you're going to be, I don't really care what it is, but we start putting those labels on quite early And I think that one of the things that I've noticed is, and and having done 316 interviews with people, (laughs) one of the things that I've noticed is that before you get into the detail of the, what you'll do, you need to understand who you are. And it sounds really metaphysical, right? (laughs) Like, oh, it's, we're getting into the, who are you question, but I think it's really true. And the picture that I always think is helpful, it's been helpful for me anyway. So if you have a bell and you hit the bell, it will ring out and everyone can hear the sound. But if you put the bell on the table and you hit the bell, it won't ring. And I think sometimes um, we end up with people who are, they're bells, but they're on the table. And when the work that they're doing, you know, when it's being struck, there's no sound, there's no joy, it's not bringing anything to the world. Whereas if they could have found who they are, what brings them joy, what really motivates them at an earlier age, then they could have been, like you're talking about, purpose-driven in the work that they're doing and really something that aligns with who they are. Um, And I think too often we focus on sign up for these five courses at the tertiary institution. And maybe what we need to be doing is say, hey, here's six months compulsory time off (laughs) to go and uh, not to just, you know, sit at home, but actually to go and have a program of you're now doing the Milford track for a week. And now you're going on a, 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 you know, a ship into the ocean for four days or something. Obviously, there's massive cost implications, time implications of all this. But the principle would be that we need to know ourselves before we make those really big decisions about what's the career that's, that's right. And too often, I think we put the career first without thinking about the person. I don't know. What do you think about some of that? Could not agree anymore. I could take that in a million different directions. So I'll try and only select a few, but you're, you're exactly right. And on a, I guess, a side note, I have a, a belief that we should have mandatory gap years. Before, if you want to go and study at university, you should have to take off 12 months beforehand. And it's, there's a lot of reasons for that. But as you say, even just to go and have time to go and do something else. And I think about even a friend who took 12 months off before university and went and did a gap year in the army. And the things that he learned through that year have completely changed him as a person and taught him so much about the world, right? But you don't have to go and do anything grandiose with that year, but it's just time to go and, as you say, work out who you are. But it's If you ask a 15-year-old to write down a list of how many jobs they know, right, they're going to be very generic. So they're going to be, as you say, they're going to be a mechanic or a doctor or a lawyer or something like that because you only have so much exposure to the world by that point and you only have so much of a 
relationship to those jobs because you've never had to work before. You're 15. You don't know necessarily what it's like to work, say, 40 hours a week for, what, 48 weeks of the year to have four weeks off, right? And this is where we're kind of making these really weirdly specific decisions about careers when we don't understand the context of what we're in within our life, but what those jobs might mean for us down the track. And if you, the science now says, right, that a lot of the time brains don't develop until our fully develop until our mid twenties, right. And what I think that's meaning then is that there's so much effort and energy that we're putting towards finding that one job title that's going to fulfill us and give us everything that we've ever wanted, but we're not even fully developed as a human being yet. And you mentioned about having that kind of midlife crisis, but I think there's actually a crisis that happens before that. And it happens before we're 30. It's that quarter life crisis, right? But a lot of people don't recognize what's going on. And so they kind of power through or they double down the career path they're already going down. Whereas if you can create this space for a young person and whether that is through taking a gap year or just going and working whatever job you feel like doing at that time, but allow them to fully develop as a person so they can work out who they are. Because when they're 18, a lot of the time they're a combination of who they grew up around or the influences that they've had. So their parents or their, their caregivers, their teachers, their friends, they haven't had that space to actually figure out who they are. And that takes time to, to work those things out about yourself. It's not something that because you turned 18 and you became an adult that you know those things. It happens over time. And this is where I believe we should be delaying a lot of these decisions. And it's there's this invisible time pressure and this rush to funnel down as quickly as possible, whereas we should be trying to go laterally a little bit more and give ourselves, it's almost like give ourselves the time and the space to be able to catch up so that we can work out who we are, so that we can then work out what do we want from our lives. But when we're 18 or 19, we don't really... we how can we really know what we want, right? Because we've only experienced, uh, for most people, a very small subset of what's out there. Yeah, I agree. And and then for me, I mean, I think it's even a little bit older. I think we assume that an 18-year-old is a fully developed adult, but they're not. Mm -hmm. So for me, I moved to Japan when I was 20. And I would say the one year I spent in Japan, I learned more than my five years at university. You know, Mm -hmm. it's a similar story or theme to what you're talking about. Why was that? Well, all of a sudden I was in a different culture. I didn't speak the language. I was having to find students to be my, you know, in an English language um, class. I was living on my own. Where do I get an apartment? I have to cook for myself. All of these things that accelerated my thinking. And the, the key thing for me, I don't know how you felt in Italy, but when I was in Japan, nobody knew who I was. I had no context of like, oh, that's Steven. He plays basketball and tennis, you know, like it was all stripped away. And in Japan, it was particularly good because they couldn't hear my accent. Whereas in New Zealand, you hear my accent, you think, oh, he must be from North America somewhere. I'll say Canada, so I don't offend him. (laughs) But I'm actually from America originally, but came here very young. But in Japan, nobody could hear my accent. They just could see, oh, he's from overseas. And therefore, I could introduce myself as I'm from New Zealand. And they took it 100%. There was no second guessing like, oh, but where are you really from? You know? And anyway, the point is, it forced me to stand up and question what do I believe, not what my parents believe, not what I learned at school or anything. It was 
when I introduce myself, what, how am I going to use my time? What, what do I value? And for me, some of the principles that I learned from that is that when I'm 85 and I look back on my life, I don't want to live with regret. And that has helped to inform most of my decisions, my major life decisions, because I've, instead of taking the safe way, I've usually tried to take the way that I won't live with regret, which sometimes is harder, but generally it's a better principle, you know, uh, to have a richer life. But I wouldn't have discovered that if I hadn't had that time overseas. So, yeah. Absolutely. And it's, it's for a young person, I don't think it has to be that you have to go overseas, right? And not everyone may have access to that. That may not be an option. But the simple act of even moving out of home, right, is transformational for a young person because it completely changes the paradigm of your life, right? All of a sudden you go from being provided for to having to provide or having to pay the bills. And it is just that even where I grew up being a very small town, the the simple act of moving away from there and seeing another world was completely different. So even if I hadn't have, say, taken, taken that time and lived in Italy and experienced that and just moved to Melbourne, it still would have been similar because I would have been in a completely different environment where, where people didn't know me. There weren't those same support networks. And you're right, you can just be, you can introduce yourself the way that you want to, right? And this is where I, I can encourage young people to go, if you can... You don't have to move out of home when you're 18 or you're 19 or 20, but if you can try and put yourself into a different environment that is going to be essentially just different to what you grew up within, it's amazing what that does for you as a person and your development and how you see the world because you're forced to do it because you're not in the, you don't have those creature comforts. You're not around those same people. So even if that was, say, for example, you are in, in New Zealand, the difference between even living in Auckland and then going and living in Wellington. So just to put you in a different mindset with different people and needing to maybe put yourself out there a little bit more, I think that's really powerful for a young person. Yeah, I agree. And in a way, that's what the university experience can become when people move to a new city to study and things. So it does happen a bit, but I just think that we could do, it'd be fascinating to do some academic research into it. And like, what would, what would the longitudinal studies say about, you know, somebody who had that experience? Because it, it ties in with my other comment before about the midlife crisis thing. Because I think if you know yourself when you're 20, 21, I think we would have less people suffering when they're 39, 40, going, why have I wasted my life being uh, fill in the blank when my actual heart is to fill in the blank, you know? Mm-hmm. And the, the interesting thing, though, as, as you'll find, you know, we're all, we're all growing older day by day. And so for me, what I've realized is, and I read this great book about it, and it was talking about the stages of life and how the first half of life, so you're right in the middle of this, you know, the first half of your career, you're basically focusing on CV qualities, which is look at my grades, see this degree I got, I'm really good at word processing, you know, like it's, you're trying to get job, you're proving yourself at a job. And then that midlife crisis sort of time, you're starting to question, like, what am I here for? You know, the big things. And then the second half of your career is very often focused, sounds really negative, but it's very focused on the funeral attributes, which is when I'm gone, what will people remember? And the reality is nobody's going to remember that I got a B plus in this particular subject. 
at the funeral, what do we talk about? That person mentored people. That person had time for young people. That person was kind. And so the point is that oftentimes the second half of life in career perspective, you often are looking at how can I give back? How can I use my skills? And I speak from personal experience because for me, when I was 39 living in Sydney and had worked in a big international law firm, came back to New Zealand six years ago, how can I use my skills and my, you know, what I do in a much more, in a different way, <laughs> you know, so that's why I do a podcast now. And that's why I help purpose-driven organizations. And uh, anyway, it's just really your, your topic is right on point. Cause I think these are the things we need to be pushing and questioning more people to think about. So, yeah. Well, I'm, cu- I'm curious for your thoughts on this then, and I'll, I'll share my, um, my addition, I guess, to what you're saying, what you're saying there and about those phases, because I would now actually hazard a guess that a lot of what is happening in that, say, even the, the purpose phase, right? The working out, well, what am I doing? What's it all been for having that regret? is actually ingrained in the younger generations now. So I'm a younger millennial and then you've got the next generation coming up. That purpose-driven is actually ingrained, I think, in, in that generation. And so there's a lot of young people now that are having those uh, let's say crisis of sorts of that purpose. What's the meaning in it? That that's happening at a younger age now. I think, and whether that is just a an, um, an evolution that's just progression, or whether it is more a trait of the the generations that are coming through the younger generations now, there's more drive to be working in organisations that are purpose driven that are sustainable. There is, um, I know for for me and I know for a lot of the people that I know in, in a similar age bracket, it is you don't, you want to work with people that you like, you want to feel valued in the workplace, you want to feel like your your work has meaning, that it's not just about a paycheck, that you're not just working for the man and trying to cl- climb a corporate ladder, right? So you've got so many people in their 20s now that have maybe gone down even a corporate career path, but have then jumped off because they've realized it's not for them. So I think a lot of that is even happening just in younger people now because of the nature of the generation that they've grown up in as well. And I'd be curious if you've observed something similar. Well, I've definitely observed it because just as an example, when we're hiring new graduates, so I work in a law firm, I'm a partner in a law firm, we'll, we'll interview people. And I think in the past, when, when I was coming through, there probably the final question would have been around like, so how does the bonus structure work? You know, or <laughs> like it, not in a law firm context, but do I get a company car? <laughs> Whereas I think for grads now, when I'm interviewing them, there is definitely a theme of, so how am I giving back? What's the impact that I'm having? Why would I come work for you if you can't show me that there's value in what I do? So I definitely agree with you. And I see that. And it's a fascinating thing. I, I don't know. What, what do you think? Like, Because you're right. In some ways, that midlife crisis is maybe happening when people are 23 or 24 and questioning where they're going to be working and, and what they're doing. Or are people just more aware of options and things? Um, yeah, it's a really interesting one. I think it's, I think it's, I honestly think it's a combination of, of both. And that's the, the information age that we're in, right? That we have access to so many more things. And a lot of people that are coming through the education system now, they've had mindfulness taught in school, right? Like uh, I'm sure you didn't probably have mindfulness taught in your school. I didn't have it in, in my education either, 
But this is the piece that I'm, I think is really important. And it's the workplaces that young people are going into. And I think if we can, I could sum it up pretty much with um, young people now that are coming into the workforce, they could care more about where they work than what they do for work. So if it's an environment that doesn't support them, doesn't allow them to thrive, is disempowering, that is going to have a really detrimental impact on a young person. And it probably has a lot of, it has a detrimental impact on most people, right? But I think in generations previous, it was the kind of suck it up, work hard for the payoff down the track, right? And whereas now young people want to work in places, yeah, that are doing good things in the world, but in environments that they feel good in. They don't want to go to work and hate their boss. They want to like the people that they work with. They want to like the clients they work with, the customers they work with. And this is where I I believe that we've still got a lot of workplaces that young people are coming into that are owned or managed by people from older generations, right? And so this is where to allow young people to come into the workforce now and for them to thrive within that, the workplaces that we actually have need to change a little bit to adapt and evolve so that they can support a young person coming in and what their needs are because a salary is not enough anymore. You can, you might be able to offer 20 grand more to a recent graduate, but if the culture's not right, if it's not a good fit for them, if it doesn't give them flexibility or it doesn't give them the, the progression that they would like or the ability to make the difference they'd like in the world, they won't hesitate to go somewhere else as long as it's still a fair and reasonable offer, right? And this is, I think, going to become a really big theme over the next 10 years for businesses is about attracting young people because there's a lot of boomers, of course, that are retiring. So how do you bring in the younger people? And there's, we know this already, right, that a lot of millennials in particular won't stay in jobs for a very long time, right? They'll happily have many different jobs, many different careers. So this is where I think the workplace is, is going to become a lot more accountable to, to the culture within it. Yeah, it's, it's a fascinating challenge. And I'm glad that you're talking with people about it and, you know, thinking about it, because we need more of that. And you're right, as a, as someone who employs people works in a business, like, what does all this mean for us going forward? And I actually think it ties into something that it, it sounds obscure when I say it, but just wait for it, health and safety. Traditionally, we've thought of health and safety as being hard hats, ladders, you know, but actually it's probably going to shift over time towards mental health, taking care of our employees and making sure that they're doing okay, you know, beyond just, oh, watch out, there's a tripping hazard. <laughs> so mm-hmm. there's kind of a shift that's going on in that direction, I think. Yeah, you're exactly right. And this is this is why the, the career education space is quite important, though, I think. The... There's a lot in the mental health space at the moment, right, around the workplace, and there's a lot of initiatives that workplaces might be implementing, such as um, being able to take a mental health day, in putting mindfulness practices throughout the workplace and stuff. But this is the the thing I think that we're missing within that, that if there's no amount of meditation that is going to make up for a toxic workplace. And so I think a lot of workplaces are... Seen, seen, want to be seen to be ticking the boxes and offering all these health and safety things such as um, mental health support, which is good. It's, a, it's absolutely a step in the right direction, but it's still not going to be enough for a young person in the long run if that workplace isn't 
if there's, uh, say, for example, a micromanager, right, or there is that um, unhealthy workplace culture, it's not going to be enough. And this is where work plays such a big role in our lives just from a time perspective, right? And even if we take it as being 40 hours a week, if you're spending 40 hours a week in an environment that you don't enjoy being in, it's going to be really difficult to do things outside of work to make up for that, to bring your, say, if we talk about it being a balance with, say, mental health and needing to have different activities and social you know, health, all these different things. That's a big chunk of time that you have to make up for in some way. So this is where I think we need to look at work a little bit more seriously and go, well, what does work mean to each of us? Because if we're trying to make it mean one thing that we need to earn a lot of money at it, but then we're doing something else, we're going to we're going to end up in trouble sooner or later, right? It's it is this really big part of our lives. And I see so many people trying to achieve work-life balance, but the reality is it doesn't exist because the work is a part of life, right? And the more that we can help young people to see this, that it is it is something that you need to take seriously work, not necessarily what you do and the job title that you have, but to understand what it really means to you as an individual and understand that that may change over time. And yes, one day you may want to strive to make more money because you have a family to provide for, but it doesn't mean that you need to be worrying about that when you're 21 years old either, and that your relationship to work can really evolve over time. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, I am starting to use the phrasing of work-life integration because mm-hmm. I like the idea that we can actually, because I, I would feel bad for people if the vast majority of their waking days, they were doing something they hated. <laughs> and wouldn't it be better if like that bell analogy I gave before, you know, like, wouldn't it be better if we had people who loved what they did, who were empowered to do it well, and that it actually wasn't a case of work-life balance. It was a case of work-life integration. So my life and my work are integrated. It's all part of who I am. And I do worry about the phrasing of work-life balance, because to me, that implies that there's a balance you're trying to get between the good and the bad. Mm-hmm. And that the good stuff is the stuff that I do when I'm not working and the bad stuff I put up with so that I can do the good stuff and I just balance them out. Whereas I would prefer it instead to be that we actually have individuals who love what they do. And it's not a case of, I have to go to work. It's more of actually, I feel like I'm contributing to society, you know, like it's not just how much money I'm making. So I resonate with the principles that you're talking about and the podcast that you're doing, what we'll do in the show notes, we'll put links and things people can get to it. How have you found that? Um, Yeah. What are some of the conversations you've been having with people? Yeah. So the idea, I guess, around advice about career advice is I recognize that parents play a really key role in a young person's career especially in that first, say, 10, 15 years. So there's a lot of, um, let's say, support networks in place when you're at school. If you do go to university there as well, through, say, career guidance, career counsellors, career coaches. But they're kind of very exclusive to certain times of a young person's life. So while they're at school or whatever it may be, and that there's, there's not this overarching figure, I guess, that can help with those different transformations and those transitions along the way. And so I really see parents as having this beautiful role to play where 
They may not need to be super hands-on in making career decisions because that is up to the young person, but they can be there through all those different phases. And so parents can ask really great questions at the right time to their kids when they might be, say, 23 years old. They've, let's say, just finished an apprenticeship and they can ask more poignant questions around how they're feeling, what what they maybe liked about it, what they didn't like about it, because those other people tend to drop off. So that career counsellor that they had when they were 17 years old isn't there anymore. More. And a parent, you know, in theory, probably knows their child best, right? And I wanted to create a resource that parents could have to essentially have better career conversations with their kids and to maybe help parents um, get out of their own heads and their own ideas about their own career and their own biases to then be a really great neutral support person for the young person in the, or their young child. And So a lot of the conversations I have are around some of my ideas and my beliefs, my own experiences. And it really is something that I wish, say, my parents had have had while I was growing up to help have those conversations with me. Because I look back and go, it's funny how once I said I wanted to be a doctor, no one questioned it because everyone deemed that to be a really good and say, quote unquote, worthy career choice. Whereas it would have been great to have had those people just to ask those questions along the way to make sure that I was, you know, do you actually understand what it would be like to be a doctor? What would that look like on a daily basis? What do you think that might mean for where you might be able to work in the world? Whatever it is, right? And so, yeah, I think parents are these superhumans that can, it's not trying to add more onto your plate. Obviously, as a parent, there's already a lot going on, but it's just to, I guess, raise awareness around the sorts of conversations that you can be having and understanding what a young person might be going through when they are in their 20s as well. It's a really transformational transformational phase in a young person's life. And I just love to see um, better communication there between, say, parents and their children in that phase, just so that a young person knows that they've always got that support network and they don't have to worry about, okay, I'm thinking about quitting this, this corporate job that I've had after I've spent all this time studying. They don't need to be worried to go and have that conversation with their, with their parents. That's awesome. Well, we'll put the links in the show notes. And the thing I've really enjoyed about this conversation, and this is why I don't dive straight into tell me about the podcast, is that you can then hear the the mirroring of your own life, your own situation as a 15 year old, you know, finishing high school, ending up here in New Zealand and, and, you know, your journey is kind of mirrored in what you do today. And I really love that, that we can download a person's life story and understand it better. And so I really appreciate the insights that you've given us. And I think you're going to cause a lot of people to think about how they approach this question of career and young people, um, which is a really good thing. So um, like I say, we'll put a link in the show notes to your show. And um, I want to say thank you for your time. It's been really great to have you on. And hopefully I can come down and you're living down near Queenstown. So maybe we can go skiing sometime and get out um, because I know there's a lot of snow down there at the moment. But thank you for your time and joining me today. Amazing. Thank you so much for having me, Stephen. Well, I do hope you enjoyed that conversation with Alana. We were really bouncing ideas around there about careers, the role of overseas experiences, how do we know ourselves. There was a lot of good content there. And if you want to hear more of Alana, then why not check out her podcast, Advice About Career Advice. And if you enjoy Seeds, then why not tell one other person about it? Until next time. Mm-hmm.